I have no idea even how to buy music anymore, honestly. I, I try to go buy a song or something, and I'll go to Amazon and, you know, region problems, and then I'll go to whatever. <laughs> I try to find people who sell it off their website and, like, have some reasonable approach. But if you don't use iTunes, I don't even know how the hell to buy music anymore. No clue. Welcome to the Laravel IO Podcast. Uh, I'm Sean McCool, and I'm here with Matt Machuga and Yarun. And I don't know how to say your last name, but I call you Noxie. I am known for Noxie. Yeah, Noxie on IRC. Yeah. And uh, Matt has chatted with us multiple times before, but uh, you're in your kind of new. Can you just tell the people listening a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, what's there to say? Well, I'm, I've been doing web development for quite some time, but I don't really call me a web developer. I call me a software engineer because we basically build software and it runs on the web, but it doesn't have to run on the web. And uh, yeah, that's about it. That's what I do. So you're embarrassed about the web moniker? Um, I wouldn't say embarrassed, but if you watch the talk by uh, Uncle... Bob uh, recently, where he was kind of annoyed that the web took over everything. Yeah, architecture of the lost years. Exactly. Um, and I kind of feel like that. Uh, I think a lot of problems people had in the earlier days with uh, basically command line stuff, doing stuff via the command line that you used to do via web browser, and it gave all sorts of problems. I think that stems from that. Now it's a lot easier, though, with, like, uh, the latest versions of well, Buff Laravel and Symphony and what have you. Right, just PHP in general. Yeah, I think PHP has come a long way, so that's yeah. that's five three five four starting to change into something that's not specific to the web a little bit, maybe. <laughs> exactly. I wonder if PHP is going to get to that point where people use it to build something else, and it's not unreasonable. No. No, you don't think so. It's no. too. It's too. <laughs> Domain oriented. Yeah, it it's just too specialized for the okay. web, and I see people building uh, like demons for it, and uh, it just makes me uncomfortable. I know just, that garbage collector is not that good. Can you imagine a scenario where PHP got a spec, and then somebody implemented it in some amazing fashion that blew out the traditional PHP backend, just blew it out of the water, and then all of a sudden PHP could become anything that the implementer decided it would be PHP on the JVM yeah who knows like if it had the thing is like everybody talks about PHP not having a spec if PHP had a spec then what you know what could become of it like the back ends could change it could have new strengths as far as processing is concerned and and all of a sudden um, you know people might start using it for other things and I'm not saying this is a good situation I personally feel that uh, like C Sharp and Ruby and Python, these languages are great, and you can use these for all kinds of things. Like I could, I could take Python and build a Qt app uh, that would run on any operating system and be really super easy to maintain. Um, but I don't really see myself doing that in PHP. But you know, you could think that you know people could do that. People can do that now. I'm sure I could go find the Qt um, connector, right, or whatever it's called. Uh, maybe. A, yeah, build a I, desktop I app in PHP. No, I mean, seriously, it's the kind of thing that people would do, though, because they're bored and they want to come up with something. You know what's kind of odd is I don't even think Ruby has a decent QT connector. I'm going to have to Google that real quick, but let's see. 
Eh, I guess there's some tutorials. It's just like Ruby's kind of lacking behind in Python for the GUI apps. We have uh, Ruby Motion for Mac apps, but I don't really see anybody making GUI apps for Windows and Linux with it. Yeah, so what what are people using Ruby for besides web development? Like actually, like because I, I know like it's just an object oriented language, and I started using it before it was ever used for the web, really. Um, but then I like lost interest because I didn't have really like, a, a reason to use it. Right. But it's like what what are people using it for now? Uh, it's still largely like web oriented. Uh, it handles a lot of background queuing pretty well because they have uh, Sidekick, which is um, I think it's still the only multi-threaded one, the multi-threaded queue in Ruby. Um, let's see. It does a lot of server-side tasks, so uh, not background jobs, but like just like scripts that you need to run, um, a lot of deployment. Um, it's used in some science areas, but I think they still favor Python overall. I can understand uh, because there's like the, the PyMath stuff. and um, Dude, NumPy is so stupid. Yeah, that's what fast. it is. Oh my god! It's just like Python has this insane like cross. It's just it permeates all areas of development, basically. Yeah, it's an insane language. I really like what they do with it. <sighs> so, um, yeah, really quick, I just want to say that the Laracon 2014 organization has begun. And uh, we are getting ready, or kind of like nailing dates down and, and nailing the venue options down and everything. And we're going to start organizing that in kind of like a public way. So we have a meetup set up. So if you're in the Netherlands or the Netherlands-ish area, um, you know, we have a meetup group that you can come and, and join. And we're going to meet every two weeks. Uh, every other week will be in Utrecht, and every other week will be in Amsterdam. And, uh, yeah, so come out and help us plan the event. There's going to be a lot of hanging out, though, with web developers and stuff. And there's only so much we can talk about Laracon that's a year away uh, during each meeting. But, you know, we'll, we'll be, like, easing towards that and, try, you know, kind of finding people who can fill certain roles and getting ideas about how things should ha- should be handled. So, so definitely come out and hang out with us. And uh, it'll be basically – it's basically like a Laravel meetup, but – because it'll be the same, all the same people. So, Yarun, you have to come to some of those. Uh, I might come around. I think Mitchell will probably come around. Yeah, and uh, it'll, every every other time it'll be in your neck of the woods. So. Yeah, Utrecht is close enough, so you'll see me around yeah. one, one or two times, I think. Ah, nice. <laughs> I was hoping you get a, a big set of volunteers so you can actually get some sleep this time. Well, you know, it was actually pretty nice until like the last couple of weeks. And then the last couple of weeks, all of the, we were like stressed out. We actually, like I have right here on my desk, I'm looking at this pack of badge holders. We ordered way too many badge holders because the original company that we ordered from, they basically, it was like a, a toss up as to whether or not they would be able to deliver in time. Hmm. So we ordered it from a second group. And we got it from the second group way faster. And it turns out it would have been okay, sort of. We got the badge holders like the morning of the event, the first day of the event. So, yeah, we were like pretty stressed out that things were going to all come in at the same time. So we started double planning and, and everything. And we're just hoping not to have to deal with that, any of that kind of stuff now that we know what to what to expect. Right. 
So we're starting planning a year early. By the end of this month, I want to have a date set, and um, I want to nail down some hotels and stuff before cardiology conferences come and snipe them all away from us. <laughs> did that happen this year? It sure did, and that's oh, why wow. nobody. That's like we couldn't have like a group rates on a hotel or anything because every hotel. Okay, we're smart, right? So we're we're really smart people, and we went and we booked a conference. In a major tourism city at the major time when people are doing all the tourism, right? That that has to make sense. <laughs> so there was no hotels or anything available for anyone. Everybody was kind of on their own, and we that's a that's a situation we really want to solve um, for this time. So we have multiple uh, strategies to to work around that, or multiple tactics. And uh, one of them is we start making relationships with the hotels now. Uh, and get in there before anybody else. And two, I think we're going to uh, time it a little differently in the summer so that, you know, we're a little bit off of peak tourism. When do tourists normally come around in the summer? Uh, Is it like right around when it was? or Honestly, I'm not really like a tourismologist, but... Um, <laughs> Is I that do, a thing? Um, yeah, yeah, I just said it. And so... <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know exactly the details, but um, my my organizational partner, um, a different Yeroon, it's apparently a common name. Uh, he said, here. "Yeah, it is here, right? Just here." And he said that if we do it in like September, for example, it'll be uh, better timing for tourism and everything. So we're looking at different time periods and, and trying to adjust based on that. Um, but of course, it all comes down to you know what our venue options are like, how they can fit us in. Because last year, uh, Bim House or this year, Bim House, you know, a great venue. Everybody loved the venue. Um, we got kind of a special setup because we we chose a date right at a time where they could give us multiple days in a row where no bands would be playing there, and so we could just leave all of our stuff set up and everything like that. And I'm I'm rambling on too long about this. It's, it's not important, but um, yeah, we're going to be organizing the meetup, uh, you know, every two weeks, but hopefully we can get other people involved in the local area and spread out the work a little bit and also bring up the general quality. I think the quality was for quite fine the last... Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, me too, but, like, what are you supposed to aim for? You know, the same? The, you know what I'm saying? True. Yeah, true. So... Uh, I'm hoping, it, if nothing else, from, like, all the discussions we've had on here, that, like, some other people... Despite me going, I hope you get some sleep. Um, I hope other people don't, or I guess I hope they listen to it and they're like, oh, I can start a conference in my area. You know, it doesn't have to be Laravel related, but just like any PHP thing. Like, I'm going to invite some people and we're going to have a really good time. Sure. If you want to talk to me about what it take, took to organize the conference or um, the meetup type stuff, you know, just find me. Uh, I'm on like the Laravel IRC and everything and. Email, you know, contact me on my website, heybignname.com, and I'm happy to share any information that, you know, may be of, of value because obviously, you know, we're all really big in the community here. And if, if you feel like building a community, like you're like thinking to yourself, man, there is no local meetups in my area. I wish I was in an area like Amsterdam where, you know, all these PHP guys are getting together on a regular basis and talking, then that is basically your cue to start up something. And you don't have to do it alone, but, you know, you can get something going and it, it'll be a, a big value for you and everyone else involved. I mean, there's a certain amount of 
uh, value in being the original organize, uh, organizer because you can, you know, make these relationships with other businesses and people get to know your name and everything. And definitely, like, start building these things because I think a developer without a community is almost like the same as a, I don't know, it's like a fish out of water situation. Like, what is a developer without a community supporting them? I think it's it's very important, especially even if you're uh, if you're remote, where you know you're the only one around who does this kind of stuff. You can still find your community online using uh, Twitter, using IRC, using uh, news groups. Uh, I think it's very important to stay up on new technologies, new way to solve problems. I mean, that's the way most of us get better by just discussing particular pro- problems and see. Um, what kind of solution people come up with. Yeah, I went to a meetup uh, last week, this week, uh, where somebody gave a talk on CQRS, right? Command Query uh, Responsibility Segregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, how familiar are you with that, Matt? Um, enough, like I've just really read through Martin's article and like implemented maybe like a quarter of it once. <laughs> um, I used to talk to Cohen about it a lot. So, so what do you think? Like, to me, it seems really romantic. Like, I, I saw it and I'm starting to feel immediately like this really kind of speaks to me personally. Uh, having the intent embedded within the domain, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, I thought that was really intriguing. And so I'm, I've been spending the past week like reading up on it and, and learning more about it. And what's going to end up having to happen is I'm going to have to create a throwaway application over a weekend that uses it so I can show and say, hey, somebody, please tell me it, how all of the ways in which I butchered this. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that process, I should have a basic understanding of CQRS. And then, you know, I can start talking to other people about it in, in our community and helping them get the same understanding and then double backing and uh, double backing back on itself and kind of getting a decent idea of, of how to use it in the real world. But uh, it's something that I definitely am interested in pursuing. So I'll, I'll put a couple of uh, resources in the show notes on the, on the website when I release the podcast. What's interesting is the way you uh, uh, try this out. It's basically the same as uh, the way I do it. If I find something new or interesting, I just think of some sort of throwaway project and then try to solve the problem using... Uh, using the new technology. And then if you have a use case and you have some actual questions about the subject, if you just read it like it's dry material, then you have absolutely no idea what the complications are going to be if you actually try to implement it. So I think that's a very good approach, and I think more people should try out stuff like this. Just think of a couple of like weekend projects to do, very simple stuff, and then try out either a new framework or a new language even or... Basically, uh, some new library you saw that solves some kind of problem just to see how it works in like a real life situation. Yeah, if it wasn't digging into just random stuff that I wasn't ever going to, you know, make money off of, then I don't know what I would do with myself. It's like the only time I feel like free to really, you know, play. Because <laughs> all the time I'm like pressing, uh, like concerned over keeping, making, making sure my clients' best interests are being met and making sure that I'm not spending more time on something that I should be. And so when I'm implementing stuff for my clients, I'm usually just only doing things that I know really well. Mm-hmm. And so if it wasn't for like these throwaway projects that nobody cared about or even knew about, then I would like, I don't think learn anything <laughs> that wasn't specifically like 
evolutionary, you know, evolutionary based on my current tactics of developing an app. I develop this app. I see other people talking about the same problems I already know deeply. And then I have a slightly improved version of it next time. But to learn CQRS, there's no evolution here for me. There's just throw it all away and try something new and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if if you learn uh, like this, then... Uh, you know you had something good when you go back to your like I, uh, what I like to call your regular code, like the the one you know about and that you use like in production, etc. And the moment that starts to feel bad, like you think, oh, this should be so much easier if I just use this new piece of technology I just learned about. And you know you hit something good, like this is the way I uh, well I really. Uh, like dependency injection because it really solved a lot of problems I had before. It was uh, a few years ago, but still, I mean, I, if I hadn't tried it out on some stupid trailway project, I would have probably just kept on trucking the way I was because it worked. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, actually, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm just going to like share a quick thing we actually did at work recently. Um, we, we'd finished a node and, um, Angular app recently that handles like uh, help chat support and the teacher can see what the students do and things like that. And that was fun. But we are starting to move over another part of our application into a single page app. And it's like used to play uh, the student's path through a lesson. So a bunch of us got together and we're like, all right, what framework do we want to use for this? Do we want to use Angular? Do we want to use um, Ember? Do we want to use Marionette? So we actually went through three frameworks and one no framework uh, prototyping period for about a week. And then at the end, we compared notes. So we all had a throwaway project that was the same project. And uh, it was kind of like who got what done at the end and what code made us feel the best, like the most comfortable. And um, I thought that was like a really good way to experiment with what you you can use, like kind of like test it out. So, you know, we could have used like CQRS if it was that kind of domain and just see what code made us feel better at the end. So do you want to share your outcome? Um, yeah, I don't want to like sway anybody any direction. So um, I have an Angular app built um, at work, but now we're actually moving towards Marionette. Um, the Angular app is going to remain as it is because it's good and it works well with Angular. The one we're using has to swap out like massive parts of the application at any given time, mm -hmm. and it needs a lot of flexibility and... Um, like the rest of my team, we're all Rubyists, so everybody coming into this was like, all right, what's just going to make the most sense for us to do in a, a simple way? So Marionette kind of worked out, I would I would say the best. Like all of them were pretty good. Uh, Marionette's code wasn't much longer than the rest, and it kind of it relieved all those weird oddities that Backbone has where, you know, like if you don't exactly know what's going on, you can't really use it. Like you need to render every time and things like that, and Marionette gets rid of it. Um, so, I've used em Ember and Angular, and Backbone's like the only, or any kind of Backbone-based anything is the only thing I, of those three that I haven't really messed with. I can really see how, you know, either Ember or Angular would be too um, opinionated for for all tasks, right? So I don't think you can just walk into a, to a situation say Ember and Angular are the two largest of the JS and VC. Frameworks, uh, let's choose one of those. I don't, I don't think that necessarily always makes sense, especially if you have large portions of your app that have a traditional server side response cycle. Mm -hmm. Then you're, you're, you know, asking, do I have 
just a little corner of my app that's an Ember app or, you know, it's like those are always really hard questions to ask. And there's rarely a simple answer because, you know, the technologies are all really good right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they all have their, they're just so different. Yeah. And, like, I feel if we didn't have the time to sit through and, like, prototype these, we probably would have gone with Ember. And while we could have gotten it done, I think it would have taken us longer or been harder to swap out components. So, like, just taking that time to try out a new idea before you say, like, let's let's build something full bore, you know, I, I really think that helps. And let's be honest, you're really lucky to have a scenario in which that was an option. Oh, hell yeah. Like, we, we were trying to do it on our own time, and then uh, our manager's like, no, nah, let, let's do this for real so you guys build, like, a, a reasonable component. So we kind of, like, self-organized and popped all that together, and it, it definitely saved us a world of trouble. Yeroon, you work for, like, a fairly established company as well, right? Like, do you guys go through, like, prototyping periods, or, or how does that work for you? Uh, well, my company uh, is at, it's called... Um, it kind of depends on the scope of the project and the size. Uh, the problem usually is is that once we get on board, it's usually because of either another company failing to deliver or a time constraint because we're known to do a lot of work in a short amount of time or to solve a lot of big messes. So usually we don't get into a situation where we get a brand spanking new like project where we get to uh, dictate which direction we have to go and try out several stuff. What we do use or try to do is if we solve, or if you have certain kind of problems and we know there's technology that can uh, help solve those problems, we try to, at least uh, on a Friday afternoon, try to fill with the new uh, technology and see if it really delivers what it uh, says it does. Because uh, with every new technology comes the cost of that you don't know what it all what it does in certain situations, so you have to be prepared to like calculate that in. So I think it's a little bit different for us, but yeah, I would see how prototyping uh, something for with three different uh, frameworks would be a very good thing, and I think maybe we can like adopt something like that in the future. So you're like cleanup man, basically. Yeah. You come in the hard jobs that that. And and make it sane again. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes that that is the case. Yeah. Oh, I I think that's respectable. And like I I said before on the show that I really have gained a a large amount of respect for just maintenance work and picking up legacy applications. So, you know, I, I mean, there's a there's a it's easy to make something run. Like anybody can get in there and make a, a web app, right? And make it run. But it, it takes something special. It takes a, somebody with like a certain type of passion and a certain mind to get in there and take something that's been running for a long time, has a lot of intricacies, and then to kind of keep from breaking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when there's no unit test to fall back to or no integration suite to, you know, do anything useful or no build scripts to deploy it. And it's usually some guy just FTPing uh, the files to some slide <laughs> and saying, yep, yep, it's done. And then uh, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Yeah. And if, it, if there were unit tests, if there was like a sufficient test suite, and then it wouldn't be called legacy anymore. Well, the, the, what we encounter sometimes is an m- even more dangerous uh, project where there are unit tests, but they're not up to date. So the unit tests basically lie to you half of the time, which is like the opposite of useful. 
Um, yeah, we had a situation where the unit tests were all uh, going splendidly, but uh, the project itself didn't work, so that was kind of hard to debug. Those are my favorite kind of tests. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, but yeah, we we try to minimize damage, and we have a lot of experience in in cleaning up stuff, and we have to deal with legacy projects. Even our own projects are uh, mostly legacy nowadays because we have to maintain them for several years. Some of our projects have been running for up to ten years now, and yeah, PHP has come a long way in the last few years, but it wasn't that great like ten years ago. So. You can imagine the quality of code that that's in there. I really wish we had you on the podcast. It was like one or two episodes ago we were discussing legacy projects. That would be perfect insight for that. We're, we're discussing anybody who works on legacy code from uh, PHP is just like a hero. You got to put up with so much stuff. <laughs> it, it's it's a uh, well, I find it quite interesting because usually what I try to do, which is my like personal way of dealing with it, is try to uh, delve into the like psyche of the previous programmer. Like, if I would have solved a problem like this, why would I have done it like that? And what would be my logical way to like extrapolate on this? And I try to like work with the with the code instead of like banging against it with a hammer and saying, no, 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 this isn't the way you're supposed to do this. Because <laughs> you do that, you you break a lot of things in my experience. So yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Which is my yeah. one gripe with something like Drupal, because I can't, for the life of me, understand how Drupal works. And so it's like banging a hammer against it, and it's awful in my experience. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a, a massive learning curve to using something like Drupal or Joomla or something like that. I mean, it, you, if you tell people you're like a Joomla developer or something like that, the stuff like with Drupal and everything, it's like... Learning that stuff proper, like getting diving into it, is just such a investment that I think a lot of uh, developers who are maybe you know the kind of developers who normally develop with a framework or build their own apps in, in that way instead of using like a tool like uh, Drupal or Joomla, I think that we tend to be just fear having to to invest so much of our time into a single tool. You know what I'm saying? Like learning a framework or learning you know database constructor. Any number of things is so much easier than learning Drupal all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I also I think, think that um, if you know something like Drupal or Joomla, it kind of becomes a, a, a hammer kind of solution where every pro- problem you see, you think, oh, I could solve that uh, with Drupal like this, or oh, I could solve it with Joomla, in Joomla like that. So instead of actually solving the problem, you're sco- uh, scoping the problem so it's fits inside your, uh, I wouldn't say limited box, but it fits inside how you would solve the problem in a certain way. Yeah, but that's always the case, right? You, you think about things based on what you know. Yeah, that's true, but I think a good developer tries to find the right tool for the right job. So, I mean, it, it's a little less with a framework because it gives you the freedom mostly to do whatever you want, but... It also bounds you to a certain way to solve uh, problems, and um, I think a good developer will try to look at a problem first and then figure out what the best framework is to solve that problem. I think there's another approach, too. I think that what you can do is you can take what you know and only take on the tasks that fit into that. 
Yeah, I think a lot of like freelancers or or people who uh, work in very small smallish teams work like that. Like they call themselves like a WordPress uh, shop or Joomla shop, and they only take on jobs that fits exactly what they know. I, I think that's very reasonable. So I I don't think that everyone should be a you know computer science engineer guy, right? Oh, no, absolutely not. I would be out of a job, so please. <laughs> well, I don't think that anybody's going to be out of a job with more developers coming in and doing a really good job. I, I just think that we're living in an era where we have like a – it's like the American dream, but for programmers only, basically. Pretty much. You have like a, a blank check, and you can fill in the amount that you want to make. <laughs> All you just have to do is have a plan to get there, and somebody can tell you how to make that plan if you don't know. You know, So it's like – um, if you, if you're lucky enough to have a mind for software development and you're really interested in it, then congratulations, you won. <laughs> you I'm won just, the- I'm waiting for Silicon Valley to like ruin it for everyone though. Like <laughs> when the second bubble bursts over here, we're all going to be like, I don't know. We might be in less trouble than last time, but it's still the concept of it. Like we're not going to get our same paychecks at the end of this. Yeah, as long as I mean, I don't even care about like money, frankly. As long as I have enough to deal with my responsibilities, then I don't even care anymore. I, mm-hmm. I just want to. It's like a quality. It's like that. What is that whole Generation Y thing where all we are looking for is self actualization? Yeah, and we're all special snowflakes. Yeah, exactly. I, think I saw that in an article. <laughs> we're all special. <laughs> Every one of us. <laughs> we're all jointly unique. So I, I think it's interesting though, but like really, like I want to respond to the idea that like Drupal developers are in some way inferior, right, to other developers. I think very much that these are different kind of roles, and the people who fill these roles end up having a different day to day responsibility, different day to day responsibilities than than somebody who would be like um you know a, a Matt Machuga or. Uh, Phil Sparks or somebody, you know, these, these jobs. I think they're, they're very different and they come with different, different skill needs. But, um, I, I definitely, like, I don't want to build too much of a worship of, of the raw developer engineer guy, right? Because you can't even be that guy and do a really great job unless you have, you know, reasonable social skills and, you know, the ability to think outside yourself and all these other things, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Ah, <sighs> well, cool. You want to know what I bought? Uh-oh. You, oh, no, I know what you got. <laughs> I bought one of those new Surface Pros, right? Uh, because everybody loves Windows. And I think that not having a device that ran Windows 8 was really putting me uh, in a in a bad position. Because, you know, I, I use Windows for my gaming machine, but I'm, I'm Linux on my laptop. Uh, which is where, where I do my, all my work and stuff. So I'm thinking to myself, what device could I buy that almost locks me in to using Windows, right? And mm-hmm. I finally found it. And I'm really excited because uh, I don't understand Windows 8 very well. <laughs> and having it on a tablet, I think, will make it click to me. It, it'll all become clear. I think more than likely it'll probably help, yeah. That's so, a good way to look at it. Yeah, I, and I'm really excited because it's really small, and uh, I can run Unity 3D on it. I can do my little game development thing on the go, and uh, that's really exciting, too. So, um, yeah, I'm just talking about consumerism right now and uh, how excited I am, and also I'm so looking forward to everybody railing me 
for buying a Windows device. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> How are you liking it so far? I don't get it for four weeks. <laughs> what? Holy well, here's shit. the thing, because Surface Pro 1 is what's out now. But oh. I, I was in the store, and I was typing on it. I was like, this feels really good, right? Like the keyboard and stuff. I'm usually like a stickler about all those things. And... I got on my phone to look up competing prices to find out what's a reasonable price if the store was like going to gouge me or whatever. And I noticed that the Surface Pro 2 for the same price comes out in one month. Uh, but it has all better everything. Like it's on the Haswell chip and so it has like way better battery life and ships with Windows 8.1 or whatever, you know, it's just it better everything. And so I was like, I'm going to order one of those because if I don't order it now, then I probably will recognize that this is a mistake and never do it. And that's a terrifying thought for me because then I'll never really truly understand Windows 8. That's a good way to look at it. Plus, like, at least you didn't do it with a month left because then, like, after that month, you just feel like like you really missed out. I know. What a, what a nightmare that would have been. So yeah, I, that, uh, that Haswell chip is actually, like, awesome. I'm pretty sure that's what's in my uh, my MacBook Air. And my battery life is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Those like new MacBook Airs and the battery life that they hold is just amazing to me. I'm I'm, I'm running a ThinkPad because I really love the power and the the feel of the ThinkPad, and I probably only get like a good three hours of actual development using virtual machines and all the other stuff that we use. Uh, so running a MacBook Air, you probably get like six hours doing the same stuff, right? Um, honestly, the whole, like, 12-hour thing is totally living up to its name right now. Really? So you, you're, like, developing with Vagrant and everything? Uh, uh, no, so I've just been using a local rail server for what I've been working on on the MacBook Air. Okay. And, um, Webrick doesn't take up too much, uh, resource power, and in all honesty, I've been mostly staying in the console the entire time, so, um, at least for that and, like, basic IRC stuff and, uh, my Gmail running, it's... I don't know it, when I load the when I load the computer up after a full charge it says like 13 hours and 40 minutes and then when it's down around like 50% it still says about 8 hours so it's like it tries to weigh how much I'm using at a time. Yeah, that's so, that's amazing. That battery life just blows me away. I I'm still shocked like if I'm down in the red zone where it's like I have 10% left I still have almost 2 hours. <laughs> so like it's I'm trying to retrain my brain that I don't have to panic and run to a charger. Right. Uh, the computer I just replaced, if I got to 10%, my computer would actually just shut itself off. Like, it's supposed to give me a warning that it's going to reserve power, and it would just die. So, like, I was doing screencasts the other day, and it just, like, completely shut off on me. So, like, needless to say, I was salty and, like, raging in IRC and, like, ready to punt my computer out the window. So, um, I'm going to be very glad to get rid of that once the screencasts are done. That's that's great. Um, I'm just I'm the the whole set of new devices coming out with with the extended battery life and just more power, smaller. It's just now is a really good time for devices. They're finally becoming useful, right? They can actually last you a full day. Because <laughs> for like me, I'm like three hour charge, three hour charge. Yeah, I've always had laptops since laptops were a thing, basically. <laughs> um, and. I always like delegated them for some sub portion of my life with computers, right? But now I live off my laptop like all the time. And the only reason I even have a desktop is because I'm insane for powerful game stuff. And uh I, I could just live off my laptop and it's 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 like has an i seven 
processor in it, it's like, what do I really need? Right? 16 gigs of RAM. <laughs> and everything being solid state now is just fantastic. Anyway, I, just, I'm just nerding over computers. It's good stuff well, to nerd over, though, considering we use them every day, pretty much all day. Yeah. Like, we, we rely on these things. So I think uh, developers getting nerdy over computers is fully understandable. Well, I'm on the other side of the spectrum, so... I can't. What's the other side? I can't work on a laptop. Like, not really. Why? I, I need at least two monitors, and I need space, and I need, you know... I don't know. I'm spoiled, I guess. I think two monitors is reasonable, but, like, that's why you have, like, docking stations. Like, I have a two-monitor setup, and right now my ThinkPad's clicked into a docking station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, that's that's... That's why I use uh, a desktop machine to work on, because I know you you can take your laptop with you, but I I couldn't like work at home with just one screen. I need I need two screens to to be effective. So it's, you're you're really like specific. You made it this whole situation very specific to the task involved. Um. Yeah. Maybe it's it's just my workflow. I I need a lot of, a lot of space on my screens. Like. Uh, screen asset, I think you call it, estate or whatever. Right, real estate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I tend to use two monitors. Um, as long as I'm like at home, I put my laptop on its stand and I plug in a monitor to it. So like I I like the extra real estate as well. And I actually have um an ergonomic keyboard uh, for when I'm working at on a desktop. Um, just because like my one wrist is crap from years of riding a bike and then typing on it every day. So um. That that completely saves me. Then you know, like the time out at the coffee shop, I just kind of use the laptop monitor, no problem, and type on the keyboard for a little bit. But I definitely get what you mean about wanting to have like your whole thing set up and um, like a real keyboard sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. I, well, like to me, the whole like archetype hipster that sits in uh, like a Starbucks and does his coding on the road, I could never do that because you know, laptop is just like. You have to you have to switch screens all the time and workplaces and I, I would go insane. So that's not that's not for me. But you know, most people I know work on a laptop and they really enjoy it. So it's it's a personal flaw. I do exactly the hipster type thing that you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And I to me I don't necessarily find it ideal. <clears throat> but when you have certain like life needs. <laughs> Like, I need to stay near the house so I can get my kid from school or whatever, right? And I don't want to be at my house all the time, so I'd rather be out and about. Yeah. Um, so that, that's it's kind of like a concession for me more than an ideal solution. I think I, I heard you call it a flaw, Noxian, but I totally wouldn't call it that. I mean, like, that's your workflow and you know what works for you, and that's way more powerful than just... Uh, being a hipster in a coffee shop, like <laughs> as long as you know what works for you, that's what matters. Well, it's it's also for me. It's also it's very personal, uh, obviously, but it's also like a mental switch. The moment I leave my office, I leave my work behind, kind of thing. I know, you know, in our job we can work everywhere and anytime. It all it only means that if I had a laptop to work on, I would work at home as well and never, you know, socialize anywhere. So now mm-hmm. I'm forced to like actually socialize because I can't work at home. Yeah, I right. think that is that's kind of like a sign of maturity, like dealing with the the occupation and having been in it long enough to, you know, identify what's best for you and and everything like that. I think that for me, 
I work all the time because I'm an idiot and I keep getting myself into new situations. Like this, the new Laravel IO site, for example, like I'm putting a lot of effort into that. I'm not going to get paid for that. And I'm not, it doesn't affect my client work. It's just, you know, I, I want to do something. So I sign up for, and then I have way too much to do. And I don't think there's a way around that for me. I don't think I'll ever be the person who can have that much control over how much work they keep coming in. Um, like even like last, last year I started taking too much client work in my business and I had to learn from that and and I spent half a year fixing it, but you know, it's resolved and and bit by bit it's getting there, but I really respect the idea of just leaving it all there. I, I, I wouldn't know how to do that. It's just something that I haven't figured out yet. Yeah, it's not easy. Um, like, well, I mean, you and I work from home. We we definitely know what that is. And it's, um, I try to break up my day to where I'm at a coffee shop for maybe like half of it, or I normally spend the, the latter half there, um, just so like I feel like when I get home, I can put things down for a while. Um, and just because I have other projects going on, I have to work after Veda goes to sleep at night. But, um, you know, like I get that couple hours of break time where it's just me and the kid and the wife, you know, like it, it's a good break. Um, it took me, it took me a little bit to get used to that because I was used to just like working whenever I wanted to or like, oh, I have a cool idea. I'm going to work on this and just like, you know, double check with my wife. We have nothing to do at the time and then run off to my laptop. Yeah, it's weird to slow down to just like you sit down on the couch and there's the kids and you're like, okay, now I need to figure out how to like make a mental switch to slow down, live in the same speed as like a eight year old, which is really slow. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Really fast if they had a load of sugar. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like even then though, like they're living in a slow world compared to like me. I'm like pushing myself all the time, like get this done, go to the next thing. You know, we got a problem. Let's write it down. Let's analyze it and let's create a solution. You know, it's like, and then you t- you take that into a home environment, it just stresses everybody out. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I got a like really find a, a, t- a way to make that switch. And, and so what I do is I just turn off my monitors, close all the stuff, sit there for a minute and do nothing and just acclimate myself to like a real human space. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's a skill and you know, I'm, I'm learning it and my kids are kind of forcing on me. So, uh, thank you kids for evolving me as a person yet again. Too right. I think everyone has to like find their own balance in it. I mean, I know it works for me, and most definitely won't work for other people. But I think everyone like it's a, it's a problem in our industry because we can be online twenty four seven, which means we can work twenty four seven if we want to. And um, people need to like uh, compartmentalize, I guess, between when they actually do work and when they they don't. I think you mentioned something uh, a few podcasts. Uh, uh, before about when people like uh, in their day job, uh, especially developers, they solve a certain pl- problem and then they go like read an article or watch some stupid cat movie or uh, do something like that just to unwind their brain, like reset everything. I think that's very important, uh, especially in our field of work, because a lo- you have to like burst a lot of energy into a problem. And then when it's solved, you have to like scale down again, like be a normal human being again, instead of this like hyper intense focused person that's only focused on one specific problem. Yeah. I'm not like a brainologist, but I feel like 
when you're coding, <laughs> you're basically I love these names. <laughs> you're basically expending some chemical on your brain because, and it's like the chemical that represents pure focus, and then the focus is gone, and that's what what you call being burnt out. Like, you know, you've used it all up, and you have a finite su- supply, like serotonin. Serotonin, for example, right? Yeah. Um, if you don't have serotonin, then you're like basically depressed. And, you know, if you're using drugs to boost that stuff, then you basically damage the, the way that your brain interacts with it. So you can create like a long term depression, basically, because your brain just can't produce the chemicals and they're not received in the right way. I feel like the same way about focus. So I, I, I consider focus like a renewable resource, but it's very finite. So I don't want to expend too much of it at one time. And, when I started thinking about like that and I, I start thinking, okay, I've, I've been putting a lot of focus in. I need to just do stuff that doesn't matter. You know, go do something that's like purely pleasurable from a, like a tactile sensation. Go take a walk out in the sun, that kind of thing. I think it really helps, uh, helps me to create a balance. Even if like the psychology and the science of, of my perception is all wrong, then it still works in, in a way. Absolutely. Getting outside is, it's like literally the best thing you can do in most situations. Um, I mean, if nothing else, you can get like revitalized from the sun, get some vitamin D India. Um, Cause I know like a lot of people just stay inside during midday. Like if I see people on IRC and I know it's daytime in their area, I'm like, go outside, just get out. Yeah. Like if I can't be outside, you should be outside. Like just go enjoy the sun, take a walk, go ride a bike. Um, like in college, I used to be on my bike every time I wasn't in class. Like I'd go home, I'd do my, my computer science homework, and then I'd go on my bike. Like What's going on my bike mean? What's that? What's going on my bike? You're not like getting uh, somewhere. You're, you're doing something. What are you doing? Yeah. So I do, um, <laughs> <laughs> for heroin. Uh, so like I ride, um, BMX bikes and, you know, it's definitely getting, harder as I get older with more responsibilities and things like that. But I've been riding um, BMX since I was like 12. Does that mean you're in like 10 half pipes and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, well, not so much vert ramps because those scare the shit out of me. They're like 13 foot tall. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, six foot, seven foot quarter, those are fine. Um, uh, Dirt jumps out in the woods. Um, those are a good bit of fun because, like, you're kind of isolated and you're out in nature and everything you ride is something you built with a shovel. So it's, like, a really refreshing feeling. Nice. And then, like, you know, random skate parks or just go downtown, ride some street until a um, building owner or cop busts us and then move on to the next one. That must be interesting as, like, a full-grown adult to get busted by the cops for... It's awkward. Because, <laughs> like, when you were a kid, if they came to, like kind of like bust you 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 know you weren't going to get into too much trouble they would pretty much call your parents or at worst you get like locked up for 20 minutes but um now if i get busted and somebody's actually mad at me i could go to jail so um (laughs) i don't tend to do that as much as i used to um our actually our local skate park here they will um call the cops on you if you ride a bike but the cops don't care that we're there it's just there's some weird agreement between the people who made the skate park in the city so the cops come kick you out, and they're like, yeah, I don't care. Just come back later. Oh, right. Like, the, you, you can build the skate park, but you can't have this kind of vehicle and blah, 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 so that the yeah. skate park is, like, obligated to do something. Well, it's pretty much the kids, the parents who organize this whole thing, their kids rode skateboards, mm-hmm. and a couple of them were like, no, bikes are big and scary. So, like, now those kids are fully grown, and there's no point for us not to be there. Right. 
But, uh, you know, it, it's whatever. Thing, things happen. Cops are scarier now. Um, pl- like, if a building owner yells at you, though, when you're a full-grown adult, you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like a 26-year-old man. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, I think I bought a skateboard when I was 29. <laughs> nice. And I was like, this is going to be funny. <laughs> so I, I lived in a cul-de-sac and we, my wife and I would like, I would like desperately try to like Ollie and stuff like that. I just wanted to like, cause I do these like weird little bursts of strange hobbies because I get bored. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I have no business being on a skateboard at all. It's far more challenging than it looks, first of all. And second of all, falling down is not fun at all. Like, I'm big and I'm heavy. I'm getting older. I'm getting fatter. Man, the gravity is affecting me very strongly these days. Yeah. Gravity's not fun as you get older. Concrete's way less fun. But, like, I'll I tell you one thing. If you fall on a regular basis, or you're at least, like, doing that stuff on a regular basis, it hurts so much less. Like, I get to go out maybe, like, twice a month right now, just because of my schedule. And when I go out and I hit the ground, it hurts so much worse than it did, like, when I was doing it every single day. I like, go out, fall off something, land on my ass, roll around a little bit, just get up and walk back to it. Now I'm like, ah, oh, my back. Dear God. Limp for the next three days. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> That's about it. Like, I try to fall on, like, smaller things now. Like, I'll, I'll, uh... I'll purposely try to do something I know I can't do to, like, learn something. But if I hit the ground, it's going to, like, condition me to get back into falling off bigger stuff. I, I know that sounds stupid to, like, condition myself to fall, but... Um, it kind of makes sense. Stuff, I mean, I yeah. have a three-year-old, and I kind of see her doing the same thing, but I never really thought about that way. Yeah. <laughs> like, in a in a sick way, it makes sense. Because you're like, yeah, okay... I think they used to do that for um, kickboxing or something or soccer, where they would roll a rolling pin over your shins to kind of like numb the numb uh, the area, and that just sounds like masochism. But um, if you're on a bike and you're doing it, and you're probably going to fall anyway. You might as well build up, because like I've taken the big falls and I can't do that anymore. Oh god, I'm getting old. For all the masochists out there, you could also just go for a walk and not fall. <laughs> yeah. That's a better idea. Yeah, for for people who aren't doing BMX biking or, or excessively uh, old skateboarding, just uh, <laughs> do a no, use a normal bike, or just yeah, go for a run. Great. Yeah, I, one one of the things I love about like living in the Netherlands is that I can just take a bike and ride in any direction, and uh, it's safe and uh, it's really you know aesthetically beautiful here and. Uh, I can go. I can go to the next city over in like twenty minutes on my bike. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's fun. I was super envious of that when I was there. Like you guys have a wonderful culture in that regards. Like you can just the bikes are respected more than the vehicles from what I've seen, and yeah. even more than pedestrians in certain areas. So <laughs> it yeah. also has to do with our law. That if, if you if you like make a an accident with a bike, the bike's always right, even if it's wrong. So nice. they respect them because they don't want to be, like, hassled with fines and stuff. So. I think it's harder to drive here. And, you know, I, I make fun of, like, the Netherlands a lot for having, like, the world's worst drivers. But um, I think maybe they just have the world's worst parallel parkers. And driving is actually just a lot harder because you have to be on the same roads with all these bikes surrounding you. Like, it's normal for me to ride home from my kid's school right next to my kid with a car right in front of me and a car right behind me. And I'm surrounded by cyclists. Like, 
like 60, 70 other people, you know, in, in this same area, all riding in one direction. So I, I imagine as a car driver, like I would be just full of anxiety the whole time. Like I haven't driven a car since I moved here and I could probably go get a license pretty easily compared to somebody who is in uh, a Dutch person because they have to go through this really expensive process of and like they have to be on the road for like so many hours like so many more of the united states um but i just have no desire to be like the person who ends a bunch of children's lives who are riding right next to me on bicycles yeah i can totally understand that i wouldn't want to drive there it was freaky yeah and uh i think uh when dale and taylor and i were walking through the city we're kind of like looking at all the parallel parking spots where there wasn't really a curb next to the river so, so if you're really bad at it, you're going into the river. I I, I think that's a good way to teach somebody like <laughs> with fear can, and consequence. I think if you can park in Amsterdam, you can pretty much park anywhere. Yeah, I'd say so. That was intense. Yeah, and the, the parking space are really small, especially if you have like a recently big car, then it's it's horrible. This guy across the street from me owns a Dodge Hemi. <laughs> what? What are you doing with a giant effing truck, man? It's like yeah. so inappropriate. It's in so many ways. Also impractical, like really. Yeah, it's like what, mm-hmm. what are you even doing here? Like it takes up two spots for cars. I don't even want to know if like the legal ramifications of parking that thing somewhere. You have to like what buy two spots? It's already insanely expensive. But mm-hmm. it, it's just crazy that someone would actually bring over a giant Dodge truck. I just don't even understand. Like, right, they, the service vehicles here are very much different. And did you see the service vehicles, Matt? Yeah. Almost all the vehicles were way different, and it yeah. actually reminded me of some that I saw in the Dominican Republic, so it was, it was pretty neat. Because <sighs> they got to drive in, like, really weird conditions all the time. So, yeah. I don't know. Everything over there just looked awesome, and if I could talk my wife into leaving family, Europe would be really fun to move to. But Isn't that the thing? <laughs> Yeah. It's like you, as as a developer, like in the first world, you could probably move wherever you wanted to, more or, not, more or less, mm-hmm. um, that had internet connection because it's not that hard to do. Right. Um, but you're always leaving something behind. Uh, it, I was lucky in that my family already lived super far away from me. So really, I just increased an already huge interval. Right. And, um, you know, my wife doesn't really have family, so done and done. You know, is like no real consequences. Yeah. It's if, always so if you easy. can do it, do it. This is the best advice I can give to somebody. If you want to go somewhere and you're a developer, go. You can work remotely. Most countries don't care if you work for a certain amount of time there. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> I got to pop off here in a minute. Somebody invited me to the stand-up meeting for the morning. Yeah, yeah. I think we're good here. Any last words? Um, drive responsibly. Don't <laughs> drive. Yeah, don't don't drink and ride. Exactly. Okay. I have nothing funny to say. So if we didn't alienate you and you live in the Netherlands, come to our meetup. <laughs> <laughs> All those people listening to this were like, "That's nowhere near." It. That's not the truth. Yeah, this is this is how crazy immigrants view things. That's not that's not reality. This is so wrong. I won't stand for this. Okay, guys. Well, seriously, thanks for taking the time out of your day for this, and and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Later. Later.